Hey guys, it's Edge Martinez. They call me the voice of New York. And 50 years ago, hip hop started right here in New York City. And we're celebrating the five boroughs all year long. Check out nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop for cultural stories, events, interviews, and more. nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7? Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, how's it going, everyone? This is the inaugural episode of the Go Long Podcast with myself and Jim Monis. You may have read about him. You may know him. You may remember him from his time with the Buffalo Bills, the New Orleans Saints, the Philadelphia Eagles. But uh, as we wrote at Go Long, and, and Jim knows this, I, the, the more we hang out, the more we talk about football, the more we throw back a few beers – I think you brought it up, Jim. At one point, you're like, you know what? We should do a podcast. Like, let's just bring this to the people. Let's give the people what they want. And here we are. Well, Tyler, thanks for even inviting me and and to do this podcast together. I think it's a great chance for us to get a lot of things off our chest, talk about some football. But, you know, you made me realize that I passed on Michael Jordan. (laughs) And... I have to talk about it. I have to keep talking about it because I haven't stopped thinking about us not drafting Patrick Mahomes. Now, doesn't mean I didn't get over it. I have gotten over it, and I want to get better from it. But that story really made me think about, hey, how can you get better scouting quarterbacks? you got to hold your ass to the fire, basically, mm-hmm. right? That's what we got to do here. Yeah, A lot I'm, of people I'm, passed on Pat Mahomes. Well, and like we said before, he should have been the first pick of the draft. No yeah. question about it. Every There was a lot of teams that passed on him. But we were part of it, and I have to own up to it. And now let's get better from it. Well, the the, the listeners are gonna they're gonna hear Doug Whaley's side of the story as well later on in this podcast. And Doug is gonna be a regular guest as well. It was awesome catching up with him, and um, it's just incredible insight, incredible stories to share. And you know, just for the listeners to know, I think what we want this podcast to be, you know, we're not gonna sit here and talk X's and O's. We're not going to break down, you know, A gaps and B gaps and assignments and all 22 listeners to death. I think we really just want to do what we're doing right now. Right now we're drinking a little Christmas ale, Great Lakes, and um, throw back a few beers, talk a little football, and share stories. I mean, I've got some stories from reporting that go along. You've got some amazing stories from all these teams that you've been with, all these draft rooms you've been in, all these just – these decisions that literally set the course for the NFL that we all watch every Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Tuesday. Eh, they want football every day of the week. But like you, 
you were in that room. You know how thin the line is between being a Super Bowl champ and sitting here in my home here in Boston, New York, doing a podcast. Uh, it, it blows my mind, and I think that these stories just add to the – just add to the story of the NFL. You know what I mean? Like, I can't wait for everybody to listen to everything you have to say, Jim, because, I mean, we've shot the bowl more times than we can count at this point, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, we have different backgrounds, but we love football. So we have the same background. And the reason we're not going to talk X's and O's and game analysts and uh, why, right? My dad was a longtime head football coach, Division Three, Division Two. And he never, you know, he was into X's and O's. But when I witnessed as a kid, the only thing he cared about was recruiting. (laughs) Because he knew that he could only be a great coach with great players. And that always attracted me to scouting and getting to know the person and the player. Which, when you get into scouting, you think it's all about the talent. And there's so much more than the talent. It's digging in and really finding out about what makes that guy tick. Just like you dig in when you do reporting and you really want to find the nitty-gritty on people, it's not about the obvious. It's right. what, what is making this thing a story. No doubt. I mean, I, I totally agree. That's definitely what I want, you know, my newsletter to be is, you know, I, I, I'm not talking to players. I'm talking to humans, not having interviews. I'm having conversations. And I just think it's so important to, to humanize this game, humanize players, because, yeah, I mean, there's there's – Definitely a science to this all, no doubt. There's a science, there's analytics, there's metrics. You can jam all this stuff into a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet and call it a day. But I think what definitely what I want my website to be, and absolutely what this podcast will be, is diving into that human element of of the game. And those stories, I mean, it's just it's, it's just remarkable. I think I think fans deserve to know. Just what led to what they see every Sunday, you know? I mean, and you've got stories for days, and none maybe more relevant right now than what we've talked about for more hours than we can count. But um, Patrick Mahomes was nearly a Buffalo Bill. Bill's owner, Terry Pagula, loved him when nobody else seemed to love Patrick Mahomes. Very early in the process, you know, from that dinner at Tempo on through October, November, December, into the combine, this was who the owner of the Buffalo Bills wanted to be the face of his franchise, and you were there every step of the way. Doug Whaley was there every step of the way. We'll get his perspective on that all soon. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where you want to take it, but, like, your recollections, your memories of that whole process, uh, I think I think a lot of our listeners probably read the story. We had it go along, but whatever you want to add to that, man, the, the floor is yours because ba- basically like that draft set the course for the modern NFL. Well, I think that's what intrigued me about the whole story that you wanted to do on it. And I, you know, to me, I'm thinking, well, why not tell people what happened? Hey, we're not the first team to miss on a player. And yeah, this player happened to be special and happened to be maybe the greatest quarterback to ever play football. And yeah, it hurts. And you do think about it a lot, but at the same time, what do you do when you lose as a competitor you want to get better at your craft and try to win again. And to me, I looked at this as, hey, after they let us go and they gave us every opportunity, the Pagulas, you know, when they bought the team and, and kept us and brought in Rex and then brought in Sean, you know, and let us be a part of hiring Sean, they gave us an opportunity to be a part of this rebuilding process. And 
to me, it was like, hey, I owe it now after they let us go. I, I need, if I'm going to do this profession, I need to get better at my craft. Why didn't I see that he was going to be the greatest quarterback? I saw the high, I saw all the plays, yeah. but, you know, could it really translate to the NFL? Well, it has. So now learn your lesson. And what didn't you, why did you get second guess yourself? Why did nobody on your staff, why did no coaches on your staff see this guy? And obviously the whole NFL missed on him. He should have been the first pick of the draft. So you can't beat yourself up too hard, but at the same time, let's get better and let's talk about it. I love that perspective. I mean, I've I've loved it, Mm. you know, when we first started talking about it. I mean, you've never been vindictive about the whole situation. You've never been in a position where, I mean, it'd be really easy for you to say, I loved him, and Sean McDermott didn't want him, and what the hell? Like, no, I mean, I think readers understood that too. Like, you, you never were Monday morning quarterback in this. You're, you're literally just saying how it went down. You had reservations. Doug had reservations. Obviously, Sean McDermott had major reservations with the vision of the team that he wanted to build. But, I mean, it, it was Terry who loved him, and – it says a lot that, that that he wanted Patrick Mahomes, and it said even more that he didn't want to step in and make you guys take Patrick Mahomes. But that dynamic, all these moving parts at once, what, what was it like to, to be in the moment through this entire draft process? It was a first for probably, I don't want to speak for Doug, but certainly a first for myself to be a part of where the owner put his stamp on a player way before the draft. And we weren't picking number one, so here you are. As early, I'm sorry, as early as like October, yes. right? I mean that early. He was on it, and you know, a lot of times, you know, even back in 17, 16 was his season. 17 was the draft, but even then, it was still, it was still a little. You wanted to keep it quiet if you were studying, studying underclassmen coming out for the draft. So you didn't really want to sit there and say, "Hey, have you seen that Texas Tech quarterback?" You didn't really want to talk about that because the NFL was still, the NFL and college were still a little shaky on guys declaring blah 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 well terry didn't hide it terry's like hey you guys gotta watch this guy and doug and i were like okay we hadn't really studied him too much in october i mean we have a lot going on we don't get college heavy until around october and especially with juniors and you know our scouts obviously knew about him our scouts were on him you know a year before it was the lack of conviction that surprised us from you know our staff and the way terry was it was like wait a second our guys aren't talking about this guy like top 10 pick is our owner is. And we, and we had, and Kim came to me and asked me personally just to watch him write a report, send it to her. So Terry could read it while they were at the owner's meetings. I gladly did that. Um, I did compare him in that report to Brett Favre. And I was scared of the kind of risk taking reckless style that Patrick Mahomes played in college. It was phenomenal. He was he was attempting and completing throws that other quarterbacks couldn't think about even trying to attempt. Who can torque their body like him? Who torques their arm like him? Who can throw it 65 yards on a laser? 80 yards, who cares? You're not really ever throwing an 80-yard pass, but he can do it. What I didn't realize, and you know, I'll talk about it with Doug later, and I didn't realize how athletic he was. I didn't give him credit for his ability to create and, and make throws. You know, He did it, but I'm thinking, this is the Big 12. Yeah, he's not going to do this again in the NFL. These guys will keep him in the pocket. He'll be making bad decisions. Wrong. Everything he does is right. Think about it. I mean, you've got – I'm trying to think of the air raid offense, Graham Harrell. I mean, I covered him in Green Bay. 
and he should not have even been the number two quarterback there. Um, I mean, Cliff Kingsbury before him, who's a great offensive mind, but you know, he was never a quarterback that was going to make it. I mean, who, the, the the lineage of that scheme to the NFL was you know, terrible. I mean, it, it wasn't even like you had anybody to really draw from. But, you know, one thing that Doug said to me at some point was, you know, when he was GM, he really viewed football as very trickle-down. You know, the things that happen in the NFL are going to trickle down to college. And he, he thought one of his mistakes was maybe it's trickle-up, you know. But the, the things that they're doing in college – are things that we should take and implement in the NFL. Now, and that's a debate for a whole other day, but with Patrick Mahomes, he's just so damn special that whatever he does is going to work. And it's hard to recognize, and the owner of the Buffalo Bills recognized it. I mean, we got done, literally got done interviewing Sean McDermott at their offices down in West Palm. And it was a long, long interview, long day. And we were all tired, you know, Sean, you know, obviously Sean was so prepared and gave his, you know, he was ready for the moment. Sean was ready for the interview. I mean, he, he was just outstanding, but it was a long day of questions, answering, talking, you know, how interviews can go. And here it is like four o'clock, Sean, you know, take Sean back to the hotel. What's Terry want to do? Hey guys, let's watch Mahomes a little bit. <laughs> and, you know, obviously, okay, Terry, let's do it again for the 500th time. <laughs> And we're still watching him roll to the left, torque his body, throw against his body, throw into coverage. It didn't matter. And he still was complete. And it didn't scare Terry. Yeah. Where yeah. we we saw things that scared us where Terry wasn't scared. And he had that conviction. We've all had it on players before. And I've always respected that with scouts, anybody evaluating somebody. I love – when you have conviction, that means something. How but, difficult is that? I'm sorry to cut you yeah. off. Like when you're – I mean – Obviously, you're an employee of the Buffalo Bills, right? Like, he is your boss's 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 boss. He is running the show. He loves this player. It's human nature to be like, oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like, he's the guy. I I mean, obviously, looking back, you probably wish you banged the table and were like, yes, Patrick Holmes is the future of the NFL. But what is going through your brain through that all? It leads to no sleep <laughs> where you sit up at night and you're saying, okay, I'm watching the same thing Terry is. I'm watching the same thing our scouts are watching, our assistant coaches, and nobody is seeing it like Terry. Why are we not seeing it? What are we, you know, and it's like you put the Texas Tech factor into it. Hey, what, they, they don't put out any quarterbacks. You know, Taj Boyd was drafted six rounds right. out of Clemson. Well, really? Like that guy couldn't play. Yeah, he had three pro bowlers, a couple maybe, you know, I mean, that team was loaded. So you're thinking, you know, Boyd, you know, when you see a guy like Boyd, I'm I'm talking about Boyd because we drafted Sammy and we spent time that draft. Hey, should we look at the quarterback? And we're like, hmm, that's system, stud players. He's not that good of a quarterback. Right. Well, I think maybe sometimes that sneaks into your brain on a guy like Mahomes where, come on, Texas, Texas, like you said, they've had guys drafted that have failed. This system – that's not a defensive dominant conference. So, you know, is he really, are these numbers really real? Like, yeah, they are. And it's, it led me to really in this past year to say, Hey, what did you, why didn't you study him correctly? And I think it's important. And this is where I think analytics come into play, but I think it's important a little bit to study the throws and don't look at the stats and don't write off a guy, study the throws, study the completions. Like, 
hey, he's doing this. He's making this happen. Don't deny it. Accept it. And maybe you say to yourself, hey, this is special. Instead of saying, that's not going to work. Hey, maybe, wow, maybe this will work. That's where I think you can overthink yourself and which I'm sure we've all been, you know, done in our lifetime on anything, any decision you make, you can probably overthink. And maybe we did overthink it for whatever reason. We didn't see the home run hit like Kansas City did. You were going to take him at 27. Oh, yeah. There would have been no choice. You're taking him at 27. I don't think that would have been. I don't. I don't know if he was sitting there at 27. I don't think Sean would have had a say in that. I'm pretty sure Terry would have walked that name right to the phone because he wants. And we'll, we'll get into this with Doug, but like he, the head coach obviously wants to win now. He doesn't want to have to look his team in the eye and say we just drafted a quarterback very high. We're thinking of the future, but at 27, it's a smoother sell. You've got two first to build on. Your owner loves them. You're, you're you're taking them there, and 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 I'm I'm hogging all the airtime here, mm-hmm. but like, I mean, you know that Andy Reid is it's coming up for quarterback, right? Like you you know he's he's looking at Watson or Mahomes. I would think. I mean, to give up that much, is he really gonna? I guess the Saints trade up for Davenport, you know, a pass rusher. But like, is he really trading up there to to get anybody other than Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes? To your point, Saints trade up, but they had Breeze, so you didn't. You weren't really thinking quarterback, that's, but, that's possible, right. but possible. Right. But to right. go from 27 to 10 is pretty much saying quarterback. And pretty much all of us were saying Watson or Mahomes. I mean, not that we were gambling on it, but it was like, all right, who's it going to be after the trade? You know, who are they going to take? Watson, Mahomes. And as soon as they took Mahomes, Terry pounded his fist on the table and said he got his Brett Favre. Yeah. And my first thought was, why didn't we? Because if you ask anybody that knows me, my all-time favorite football player is Brett Favre. But for some reason – Same here. And, you know, I look back on Favre, and you always think he was so talented and so good, and the expectations maybe were even – I mean, I think as Packer – you know, I grew up a Packer fan. I know you did. I almost felt like Green Bay should have won more with Brett Favre. But that's unfair. It's hard to win. It's hard to win. It's hard to win. I guess it's a podcast for another day, but like yes. watching a Packers game on Sunday, I mean, you you never knew what was going to happen. Like they could be down, they could be up, but the unpredictability factor of a Brett Favre football game made Sunday worth living for. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, I can recall any Favre game so since probably like 93, 94. That's when my memory kicked in as a human being, but you know, I mean, I've got, like, yeah, I grew up a Packer fan, um, and, like, I, I would have, like, nightmares of missing a Packer game on Sunday, you know, like, because of Brett Favre, because of what he brought to Sundays, it was it was unbelievable. It's it's the reason that me and my dad, we'd go to Lambeau Field, you know, every other year. It was the best father-son trip, and, I mean, memories I cherish for the rest of the time, and I know there's millions more like me that were in that position. I mean, he, he just had – a magnetic just factor to the position that is unparalleled. And you saw that in Patrick Mahomes. I'm sitting there. So I'm taking that knife. I'm just digging it right in. No, it's one of those things where you're right. Cause you know, it's funny. We can relate to being a Packers fan where, you know, I was such a huge Packers fan. That's what got me into scouting. Is it really? When they drafted Tony Mandarich and the sports illustrated article came out with him with his shirt off 
I called my cousin who was a Green Bay Packers fan. You know, because back then you're talking about, I don't know, say 89. Yeah. But back then, this was different. I mean, you had to read Sports Illustrated to find yeah. out about a player. You didn't have it on your phone. And we're thinking, oh, we got the gr- this. We're going to be able to run the ball, blah, blah, blah. Mandarich, we got the greatest player ever. And, you know, you didn't really – you're like, wait a second. He's not that good. <laughs> wait, they passed on Barry Sanders. You know, it's like, oh, oh my God. wait a second. We but that got me into scouting. I'm thinking, how does an NFL team not pick Barry Sanders? And take Tony Mandarin. Well, it always drew me to recruiting as wow. my dad scouting. I was obsessed with it. We used to have NBA draft parties when I was in high school because huh. we were so obsessed with where guys were going to get drafted, and it's just something that I was just always obsessed with. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, got a we got a little Favre sidetrack. Yeah, sorry, that takes me. I love Favre too. The Detroit Lions throw. Oh my God. But, Sterling Sharp. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't get better, does it? it, it Until Mahomes. I mean, it's and we, we text all the time. I mean, there's nothing beats Sundays just watching football, and we're just, you know, BSing over text. And I think at one point you said, like, Patrick Mahomes is already the greatest player ever. He just needs the rings. To, to validate. To validate it. But I think anybody that studies football and loves it, and I, it's hard to say there's ever been. I, yeah. Like, to me right now, he's the best. And there's no question to me, Aaron Rodgers is second best. But I think there's a gap yeah. between those two, which is crazy to say. I think there's a gap after Aaron Rodgers, to be honest with you. But I just, you know, Aaron makes it look so easy. Mahomes does it even, like he's doing things crazier than Aaron Rodgers. What's the craziest does? thing that, I mean, what, what, what is so unbelievably, ridiculously crazy that Patrick Mahomes does that just blows your mind as a scout? The no-look throws? Yeah. Those aren't fake. Like, those are easy for him. Like, I don't understand how he completes some of these passes. When he's on the move and throwing and you're watching it on TV, you're like, that's going to be picked. Nope, complete. Yeah. How? Any throw, any guy is always open. He, I don't know how he does it. He can place the ball. He has touch, accurate. Like, there is nothing he can't do. It's it really phenomenal. I mean, Sammy Watkins, he told me once that in practice, you see behind the back passes. And I, I thought he was like a Sammy Sammy, and uh, we all love Sammy. I didn't believe him, and then more players say the same thing. Like, yeah, in practice, he's throwing it behind his back, and it's only a matter of time. He kind of knows, all right, there's going to be a point in time in a game when maybe I have to do this. Maybe. Who knows why, but maybe. When we worked him out at, in Lubbock, Texas, it wasn't his pro day. This was a private workout. So it was, you know, just Terry, Doug, Sean, myself, uh, Rick Dennison, and David Cully. And his – it was windy, like, you know, just one of those windy days. We weren't there to see his arm and blah, blah, blah. We were there to see if he could learn. He's off the charts smart. So you're like, geez, what – is there anything wrong with this guy? Well, let's go out and throw the ball a little bit and put him, you know, we put him through some plays that Dennison had for his offense. And it's so windy, and he had no, no issues. I mean, we didn't, we were even told him, hey, we're not looking for rifle shots. Hey, we just <laughs> – easy. And we're just like, wow. I mean, it was a real windy. And so it was like one of those days. You're you going back. lying to I looked it up. On, that day you uh, looked? When you told me, like, that yeah, it was windy and stuff, I'm like, ah, let's check out Jim here. And it was – 20 to 25 mile per hours. 
Um, I think that day that you worked him out, and it, who knows, maybe it was worse than that. I can. The landing on Terry's private jet going into Lubbock was everybody was kind of looking at each other. I mean, it was Is windy. That right? It was windy. I don't have a lot of private jet experience, but Terry wasn't nervous. But I'm looking around like, is this okay? I mean, it's windy. What's it like on that private jet? Um, ruins first class. Really? Yeah. Way better than first class. Yeah, you don't want to fly first class anymore What's after that. Good choice. On, uh, um, if you're with Terry, it's going to be red wine. Red wine. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty simple. So you get into Lubbock. You get into Lubbock. Terry's just like got to be losing his mind. We right? do dinner with him that night. Um, we had just gotten done with the workout in Chapel Hill with Mitch Trubisky in the morning. Get on the jet in Chapel Hill, fly to Lubbock that evening. I'm sorry to cut you Go off. Ahead. Re- real quick on yeah, Mitch yeah. Trubisky. I thought it was just wild how you said like his receivers just were like hung over. It like was all, partying, they, right? They had a long night. They were, they were having a fun college spring weekend, which they How did you have. tell that they were just like hung over? I talked to them. <laughs> So game-recognized game. game. Um, but anyway, they they were so excited. They all say, hey, we're coming out for Mitch. We don't care. We're coming for Mitch no matter what. And it, they hit, Mitch, had, he did great, too. He was he was he he did his thing. He was smart and worked hard and, you know, really did a nice job. And you fly into Lubbock that night. We have, you know, we go to dinner with, with Patrick at a steakhouse that he picked. Um, sure enough, the ketchup came out at dinner. That was a little topic, you know, I – Wow, he did, so it was real. It was real. Ketchup it. was real because, I mean, that, that to me is like cream and sugar and coffee. Why do you I do it? I would take him off the draft board at that point. It worried me for a second, you know, but I said you can't let this – don't let this influence you. I should have just said that's why we didn't do it. Right, right. Well done. I, I knew he was going to be the best player ever, but I didn't like the ketchup on that's the state. the story you should stick to. Was it – do you remember how he wanted his steak cooked? I don't. He, I wish if I would. He's putting ketchup on it. I gotta say he's going well. Well done, well done right? is usually the guess. That's depressing. That's so sad. Uh, I take back this greatest player of all time. He can't be. I can't. So we made the right move. You did. I mean. Thank you. Obviously. I'm gonna sleep good. <laughs> Sorry. From that point, then what? How's that dinner? Like what? Dinner was great. He was, you know, he was right. He's been through the process. These college players, we put them through excruciating interviews, and that are. To be honest, are a lot pointless. And you're doing your best to get to know a guy, but at the end of the day, if he's good, you're going to take him. Um, but but he's been through the process. You know, he knew how to answer the coach talk. You yeah. know, with the coaches peppering him with questions about whatever football, and that was easy for him. You know, Duggan always tried to talk a little bit more about personal life. Hey, what's going on off the field? How you living day to day? Blah blah blah. Lubbock's small town. You don't get in trouble. Is that hard? Hey, he lived a good college life. According to his coaches, by the book, he was always on time for things, showed up. We weren't worried about anything. So then what we do is next morning is we do a quick install. Coach Dennison does a quick install with the offense. Let's take it to the field. You know, let's see how your recall is. The coaches really want to know about recall. Hey, we're going to say some small things. Let's see if they recall it. Pretty basic playbook, I'd imagine. Not nothing too crazy. Sorry. A lot of under center. I formation, which I don't think Andy Reid's running, but anyway, little different. little different. But anyway, he was fine with everything, and it, it really, you you came away from that with wow, like why? But once again, it goes back to hey, let's talk to our scouts. No conviction. Director of college, no conviction. Assistant coaches, no conviction. One guy, Terry. Hard, hard, hard to figure out. All he does is own the team, June. Yeah. Well, 
and you know, and Terry probably kicks himself because yeah. obviously he could have trumped everybody. He and said, hey guys, guess what? And you and Doug both gave him that opportunity, right? I mean, the morning of, you're up well, in that office, and ba- I mean, you just basically said, "Look, you own the team. Like, do it, do what you want." But here's what we think. Hey, we're obviously, but we know the guy has some ability. It wasn't that nobody right. was scared of his ability. It was like we have a new staff. We're trying to build this thing from ground yeah. up. You know. Is this really the right move? Because what if, what if he is like some of these other Texas Tech quarterbacks, and we're starting off this new regime, and we're going to bust on a first round quarterback? And we all know that sets you back four or five years when you miss on one. And are we in that position to do that right now with a new staff? And hey, nobody's feeling convicted on this guy. Let's get out of the pick. Let's game get picks for next year, and let's hit on this pick. And we did. We hit on Trey White, which was great. It makes me feel good. And the Bills hit on Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. You know, they, to be honest, they took advantage of the trade. And you got to give them credit for that. Um, but it still doesn't make you as a, you know, as an evaluator and competitor. You're still kicking yourself. Yeah. Man, it's it's something that we're going to get into here with Doug soon. It, it, it blows your mind. And I just give you and Doug so much credit for – being so open and talking about this because I, I I think it just does, you know, fans justice to, just to kind of get a peek behind the curtain. Now, we're going to hope to give listeners, readers that peek behind the curtain. Man, you, you've been studying these quarterbacks, Jim, all season long to an extent that I've never seen before, honestly. You know, I, I try to talk to as many coaches and scouts and players that I can around the NFL. I don't know if they're – Maybe Kurt Warner. Maybe he's the only one. But I don't even know if he is close to you in terms of watching every single quarterback, every single week, every single throw, and grading everything. Now, I you'll explain it way better than I ever could. Just just tell our go-long listeners here what you've been up to this season as, you know, you're hanging out here in Western New York. Well, being unemployed helps. So it gives you time to do some <laughs> things like this. Kurt Warner is getting paid for what he's doing. But I will say – got to monetize this somehow. Yeah, and I did – I will say I just wanted to say can I somehow translate – like pro football focus does their thing, but it's always very – they grade every play. So, you know, I'm seeing Tom Brady grading high, and I'm seeing some of these other quarterbacks grading really high, and I'm like I don't see that what they're seeing. I'm grading just – I'm trying to grade real throws. Who's making throws outside of the playbook? Who's making the throws that other guys can't make? And I, you know, I came up with a little point system, more points obviously for crazy difficult throws. And who who's making? And you get you get points for drop passes. You get that in my book. Dropped interceptions. I'm you know you're getting negative. So I'm trying to balance it as well. But I'm just trying to do every throw, and it's been really good for me. You know, professionally, if I ever do get a chance to scout again, it's been really helpful for me to really study every single quarterback, including the backups that come in. Because honestly, sometimes you just write guys off that are backups, but you, if you really study them, you do see who the better backups are. Really? Like, to be honest, I think Nick Mullins is a good backup for the San Fran. I thought that was a nice win for the Bills the other night. I didn't think there was a huge drop off between Garoppolo and Mullins, to be honest. I don't, I don't see Garoppolo as that elite starter. And like there's there's a close, you know. I I think San Fran will be looking for a quarterback. I gotta say, what what are the most one of the points of the week I get most excited is when you send me that Excel spreadsheet and I get to see all these 
all these quarterbacks and, and what you graded them out at. I mean, when, when you really look at it, and we're going to get it up on Go Long um, every week so everybody can kind of see it for themselves. But which quarterbacks have been graded, you know, the best and maybe not not so well? The, so o- the obvious guys are the Rodgers, Mahomes, and Russell Wilson. They've been doing it, and they are truly the best quarterbacks. The guy that I think people are speaking about now, and you will know, I've been telling you about him all year, Deshaun Watson is just yeah. incredible. Uh, that's a bad football team. They, they, they've done him no justice there. they got to get done, that right. they got to figure it out. For the sake of the – freaking game you 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 have that's the best gm job you could want because you have the number one headache in place real quick i mean i want to get your take mm-hmm. on this I, I talked to quincy avery sean watson's uh i mean he's one of his best friends he, he's just he's been his private quarterbacks coach since high school i, I think quincy knows deshaun better than deshaun knows himself he is adamant he, he says the texans need to hire a head coach first they need to get that right Somebody who knows Deshaun, who will use Deshaun, who will prioritize Deshaun, and then get a GM that can kind of work around that, as opposed to a GM who is going to think about draft picks and team building and, and just looks at things through a different lens. We've talked about this a lot, too, and I'm, I'm really interested to see what you say on this specifically, but like, what would you do if you're the owner of the Houston Texans in that situation? 100% agree with his assessment. I would hire the coach first, give him control. He's going to, he and Deshaun have to be tied together and let, you always have to deter, you always have to designate who's in charge, head coach, GM. That's number one. If you don't do that, you're going to, it's going to be a headache. I, if I were Houston, I would let head coach have control. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean he's going to make every draft pick, but he needs to have, you need to have that guy and Deshaun be linked up. And, you, and you're in personnel saying that. I mean, you're a director, player personnel, assistant GM saying that this is the way to go. Let's, you know? let's face it. Like, I mean, Bill Belichick obviously runs the personnel and runs yeah. all that for the Patriots, right, because of Brady. But Nick Cesario is doing all the work, and Belichick trusts him. The head coach should be able to pick, you know, whoever that first hire is, head coach or GM, should pick the next hire. So if it's a GM, then let him hire the head coach. Because those two need to be synced up. Yeah. And if you're just if you're patchworking things, which we did in Buffalo, where hey, Doug Marone and Buddy Nix were together. Well, Buddy retires and then Doug Whaley comes in. Well, Marone and Whaley didn't know each other. Yeah. Then Rex Ryan comes in. Well, Rex and Whaley didn't know each other. Then we bring Sean McDermott in. Well, Sean and Whaley didn't know each other. So how is it ever supposed to work? Yes. Let let whoever you as the owner, this is your team, pick your guy whether it's the coach or gm and let him hire the other guy the hierarchy i mean the hierarchy is a strong word i mean it has to be clear right i mean you have to know who's running the show and you guys drafted a hell a hell of a lot of good players we're seeing it now right i mean we're, we're seeing it and Man, I mean, we've got several weeks to get into this all, but I think everybody really needs to dial into your quarterback rating system because I've never seen anything like this. It really tells you who really is playing well, who really isn't playing well. And since this first podcast is pretty Bill-centric, I mean, Josh Allen, talk about a quarterback who might grade really, really low one week and a quarterback who will grade really, really high one week. 
Um, he can, I imagine he's all over the place. He can be, he can be Watson, Russell, on games, and he can be Gardner Minshew in games, and it, it's you know you scratch your head, but when you know his ceiling is that high, the Bills have done a good job. They have the right guy. They've paired him up with obviously a talented offensive coordinator to design this offense around Josh, but. You can't deny what Josh Allen does. That, that what he did against San Fran the other night was as good as quarterback play gets. Makes it look easy, poised, out of the pocket, under pressure, throws that other guys can't make. Arm strength off the charts, obviously. The accuracy has improved. It really has. He can spot the ball, and he couldn't do that in years past. That's a credit to him working hard, which obviously he has. The whole team believes in him because he is yeah. tough. He does anything he can to win. That matters. It, it it is so key, and and that's where you know you can be critical of you know everybody looks at that Houston playoff game, and it was it was a debacle. And some of his second halves this year have been awful, and he doesn't grade out well every week. But they have the right guy. Now it's just a matter of him taking that. You know whether he whether he gets into the top five category is him being that good every week, or he's going to stay in the top you know twelve category. But Regardless, they have the guy. They have their quarterback. It's hard to argue with that. I, I agree with you. That 49ers game, I really mm. felt like was a, a moment. I mean, granted, look, Seattle's pass defense that game, they were kind of a disaster. I mean, Josh Allen played great. But they, that 49ers game against that defensive coordinator, the talent that was still on the field, I think that was probably Josh Allen's best performance all season long. You know, it's funny when you watch body language and watch coaches on the sideline and the defensive coordinator for the 49ers is so intense and so (laughs) pound your chest because he knows he's owning, usually owning the other team. He had that, you know, we all played football, that deer in headlights look like, man, nothing I'm doing is right today. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I can stop this. He had that look. How funny. I don't know if you're watching the or the volume up on the broadcast, but at one point, like Josh Allen just had his third or fourth touchdown and ESPN's talking about, oh, the Detroit Lions should hire Robert Sala. And they should. He just ran into <laughs> they should. it. it the they they probably should. Funny. It was yeah. just really funny because like, he had no answer for that, this Nothing. offense. Like, yeah, yeah, and it's a credit to Dable. It's a credit to Josh and Sean, too, for finding I just wanted, Dable. Oh, my God. We could talk forever on this, but like, Dable will be head coach. He should be. You would and think. You would think. He's going to be right at the top of the list because – you know, I, I guess in terms of team building, if I'm, if I'm hiring a coach, I'm going offensive because, A, it's an offensive game, and, B, I mean, if you do if you do hit the bullseye and you have this great offensive coach, you want to keep him, you know, right, as a head coach. You don't want to lose him as an offensive coordinator. Like, who knows, maybe Ken Dorsey will step in and whoever the, is the OC in Buffalo is great, but um, something is special. Something special is brewing in Buffalo, and uh, – You'd love to just keep him as long as you can through the Bills. That's a no-brainer. Keep him. Hiring a coach is not, I don't think, as simple. And I was lucky enough to be a part of that. And we were very, very determined to find a guy that was willing to, whatever their expertise was, offense or defense, we didn't care. We wanted that leadership. Who has the vision, the leadership? Who can oversee team travel, personnel, roster building, equipment room? training room Sean had a binder with all of that like I mean he had he was ready to turn that building over which he did 
Anybody that knows Buffalo knows that building got flipped, mm-hmm. and it needed flipped. And it was bad. And it needed flipped. And and to, to Sean's credit, he waited. He prepared his whole coaching career to be a head coach. He went through. He got fired. He got fired from his mentor, Andy Reid. Right. Yeah. Andy Reid. You know, he replaced a legend in Philly, Jim Johnson. And that's not easy to do. And maybe he was too young. Don't know all the details. I wasn't there because I was gone by then. But I know enough to know that Andy, we did speak to Andy Reid about Sean. And, you know, he told Terry, he told all of us, like, you're crazy if you don't give this guy a chance. Which, hey, maybe a lot of references do for everybody. But I don't necessarily think Andy Reid would go that far out of his way. Because first question is, why'd you fire? So I'm being a little myopic Mm -hmm. here by thinking, like, okay, if I'm going to hire a head coach, you better be this offensive whiz. Like, you've got to think bigger than that. And we're going to get into this with Doug, but, like, that's a great point. To me, the head coach has to be able to I, – I want him to be special in knowing the rules of the game as far as the timing of things, timeouts, clock management, huge, off the charts. So sometimes you don't think about it as a play caller. You're just looking at the next play. Some of these special teams coaches, Joe Judge is doing it in New York right now. He, you know, uh, Harbaugh in Baltimore was our special teams coach in Philly, and I was a young scout, didn't know anything. And he gets a head coaching job, and I'm thinking, wait a second, he didn't call offenses or defenses. Guess what he did? He paid attention to everything that was going on. He took notes. I used to watch him on the sidelines, Harbaugh, taking notes on offense, taking notes on defense in practice. And it was so detailed. And I'm thinking, what is he taking notes on? He's a special teams coach. Yeah. He was preparing for the head job. That's amazing. Awesome. I, I learned a lot from that because I try to pay attention to those guys because sometimes, hey, use what, do what you do best. If you can find a great play caller on offense and a great play caller on defense, let them do that. You handle the major decisions, the replays, the clock man. That, to me, is the great recipe. I think this is a good opportunity then to tease something that uh, the listeners will enjoy with our conversation with Doug Whaley, uh, you you pinpointed somebody who could do exactly that when you were looking for a coach in, in, in Buffalo, and we'll get into that with Doug. And, uh, Jim, I mean, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait to do this every week, twice a week. We'll see what the pace is. We'll, uh, we'll get together here in, in Boston, New York, have a couple beers and talk football. Does that sound good to you? Tyler, this is perfect. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for listening, everybody. Here is our conversation with – Jim's former coworker, boss, friend, Doug Whaley. All right, we are now joined by the Doug Whaley. Great to see you, Doug. It's been too long. I think it's been five years for me, and I don't know how long for Jim. Too long. We spent a lot of hours together. We have to break from each other now. <laughs> no, it's it's first of all, it's thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be a part of this and go long. Great to see you guys, and like I said, it, it has been a while, but uh, let's let's catch up, right? Absolutely, yeah, definitely. We'll, um, as we said earlier in the podcast, we want Doug to come on regularly. Your hear his analysis, his experience, will uh, will BS. We'll tell stories, and I'm, I'm sure mm-hmm. we've got a lot of stories to tell. So. Uh, Absolutely. First things first. I mean, we we wrote about it at Go Long, the the final draft for you two. Jim and I just kind of broke it down a little bit, but your uh your recollection, Doug, and and I can't thank you enough for all your time and breaking it down and just 
you know what? Like, just tell them, tell them the fans what happened, which yeah. I think every fan yeah. loves to know what happens yep. behind the scenes. How, how does it get to this point? And, and you guys were just both awesome and open and engaging. And I, I can't thank you enough. And I think the fans loved it. No, well, and, and that's what I always say. I mean, obviously when you're outside looking in, you can comment on something, but in truth, tell you're truly in there and understand the dynamics of everything that goes into the decision that gives that uh, audience, gives the audience the, the total picture instead of just that one angle of you passed on Mahomes. Absolutely, we passed on Mahomes. And unfortunately, it wasn't because we thought he wasn't a good quarterback. It was more, hey, there are some questions about Mahomes, and let's, I don't know how to say it, maybe be, there was a little greediness in me and us. Let's move down, get an extra first-round pick, and as a personnel man, Monish, you can say to have two first-round picks, man, that's better than Christmas. You know what I mean? So we're like, if we can go to, and, and then obviously, like you said in the story, that next year was the 18 draft with all the quarterbacks. So we had already uh, had a plan to say, let's have the ammunition to go up or, or be in a position to get one of those quarterbacks. So it wasn't, hey, we think this guy is not good enough for the 10th, 10th pick. We thought, hey, we think he's got some questions and we may be able to pick him up a little later. Now, the person that believed he was not only good enough for the 10th pick, but best player in the draft was the owner. So uh, he, he's got an eye for ta- or quarterbacks. But, Doug, wouldn't you say, and this goes for every team, I'm sure has a draft story that, you know, bang your head into the wall. I can't believe we didn't take them. But, you know, and I told Tyler this, that we didn't have – there wasn't one guy other than Terry Pagula, right, in our, on our staffs, scouting and coaching – that was, you know, lobbying for Patrick Mahomes. As they said, there was no one standing on the table. Usually you'll get, and Mona will corroborate this, during draft, you'll have all these secret meetings. And it's not, it's, and it's not scouts. It's coaches coming in lobbying for, for their players or, or even scouts. Like, hey, man, we got this guy too low, but we, I, come on, let's watch some film. This is what I saw. No one in our building lobbied for Mahomes except – Terry, <laughs> one person. <laughs> What's it really look like then? I mean, so when you're watching film, like I'm trying to picture what it's like with the owner of the team, Terry Pagula. Is he is he sitting in there with you guys watching film of all these different players you might draft? And like, I think maybe it was you, Doug, that said like, yeah, let's let, let's watch Pat again. Let's let's watch Mahomes again. Like, what, what, what's that scene really like? Oh, it, it's one. You know, it's coming. I mean, because the first time you're like, okay, Terry, yeah, we'll watch him. And then you go through and you're like, oh, that's nice, nice. But what about this, Terry? Here's something that we would think about. Here's that. I think he's struggling here. But after about the fifth time of no matter who we were watching, hey, let's throw in Mahomes again. Then it was like Mona said in the article, it was kind of like, hey, let's watch Mahomes. (laughs) Because the guy was special. I mean, he's got some unbelievable talents. We all were aware of that, undeniable. But. We didn't think that there was enough questions marks of where he came from, where he played, and the system he came out of, and where we were as an organization, and what we had on staff to be able to take him at the 10th pick and develop him to where he is now. That's the ultimate question. Would he have been the Patrick Mahomes we know today at this stage in his career if he would have been with Buffalo? Who knows? That's that's the debate we could just sit and talk about for the rest of his career. You know, Doug, I said to Tyler, 
I feel like it's almost disrespectful to Kansas City to just assume that Mahomes right. would be who he is Absolutely. or anywhere. You know, yeah. he went to, you know, like we were just, you know, Miles Garrett should have, you know, great player, first pick of the draft, horrible pick for Cleveland. It should have been Mahomes. Yeah. And would he have been great in Cleveland? I don't know. And I'll tell you this much, to, to give Kansas City credit, and you know as well that I talked to John Dorsey at the Combine, and he was like, you move, you interested in moving down? And, I, and at that time, you're always like, oh, we'll listen to anything. We'll listen to anything. And then every week he'd call me. Hey, man, you still interested? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So two nights before, we kind of constructed the, the idea of the draft and the parameters. The night before, hey, we're still talking, and we're trying to get a little more juice out of them, a little more higher picks and more picks and stuff like that. And I still remember to this day, he calls me, I think it was 9 in the morning on draft day. First, he <laughs> says, hey, Doug, what's going on? I was like, oh, you know, just getting ready. Like, hey. All he said was, don't get scared now, and then hung up. <laughs> <laughs> so it really went up to it was that close to the draft because I know when we talked it was the parameters were kind of set beforehand but I mean minds weren't really made up until that day before well because what you want to do is and even on the clock you're like okay let's see if anyone else calls at that time to offer a little more uh, but we were I mean it was one of those we were 99 percent sure we're going to get it done unless something came and blew us out of the water or uh, who would have felt that we would have said no i, I mean we yeah, didn't have there was good nobody no remember, there was nobody we, yeah we were good we were ready yeah, we were yeah. good yep. because like what we did before when we were setting up our draft board we'd always put a demarcation line of guys that we wouldn't trade away from and at that time we thought with the construct of our team the new coach his philosophy what he wanted to promote to the team in his first meeting, we thought it would be best collectively for us to move down, get an extra pick, and then be able to eye a, a talent like Tredavious White. Now, again, fellas, we can't discount the player we got or the Buffalo Bills got. That guy, is, he's a heck of a player, was an all-pro last year. So, I mean, it's not like we, we they or we missed on a pick. And so that, that's that got to be put out there as well. You know, Doug, you I don't know if you feel this way, but there's probably not a day that goes by that I don't, like, kick myself, you know, why didn't we just pull the trigger on him? I mean, we all, you know, we watched him and said, wow, this is crazy. But it, it didn't seem like it would translate. Some of those throws he would make in the Big 12, you're like, well, he's getting away with that. He won't get away with that. Correct. Well, I don't think I gave him enough credit for his ability to move around sometimes. I, didn't I agree with you. On that, that he makes he's special moving around. I don't know if I categorize him as special coming out, but mm -hmm. I look back on that and I said, man, I never thought in my you know you grow up watching Sam Bowie the Jordan draft. Mm -hmm. Yep. You're thinking, how could they miss on Jordan? <laughs> and I'm like, here we are. Well, here's why we all were wowed by his physical talents. Yeah. Remember, even at the workouts oh, and his presence. Him. Yeah. But that's where that that creeping in of history comes into your play, into play. And especially scouts, a lot of scouts are are, I'd say, scarred by that because if you have somebody that comes from a program that traditionally doesn't succeed, especially in that position, you're going to not put him down a notch or two or have that question. So you can't stand on the table and say, yes, absolutely. But I think it's one of those things where until you're in that position and 
for the expedient of of his maturation, how fast he matured, I would have never guessed that either. I thought he would get there, but I thought it would take some time. But wouldn't you rather be us? And if you redraft that, Tredavious White's a top ten pick. Yes, yes, absolutely. You'd rather be no us than the Bears. Who oh yeah, quarterback. Yes. You know, at least we didn't take. <laughs> I hate to say, yes, it, but at least we yes. didn't take another. You know, I would really not be able to sleep if I was the Bears. Oh, I think you guys yeah. should have gone Kaiser myself. <laughs> well, he had David Robinson's son at, at that little workout we did, and. Robinson's son was about as average as could be as a receiver, and Kaiser. No, no doubt. Well, what, let's just put this way. When we heard David Robinson's son was planning to be an art dealer in New York, and Kaiser was like, this is who I want to uh, catch That's for right. me, it kind of set the steam for us, set the scene for us. Yeah. And you guys just did that to throw everybody off, right? You weren't interested in Kaiser. It was just kind of a smoke no. Terry didn't go to Kaiser's. Uh, nah, he was like, I'm good on that one. Terry, <laughs> I'll, meet you guys, I'll meet you guys in Chapel Hill. I got to ask. Yes. And he, oh. he reluctantly went to Chapel Hill as well. <laughs> he, only, like, he only wanted to go to one place. Really? It was all. Lubbock. He was all about Lubbock. Yeah. Lubbock, Texas. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, we got to get into all of this because this is just so fascinating. But, you know, take take this as far as you want. What are the dynamics, though, Doug, of – like the team at that point, right? I mean, Sean's in, he's the head coach, pretty clear this guy's got a lot of power. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you see the writing on the wall, when you see it, but what, what, I, what, what's that relationship like? And, are, are, and when you're trying to, you know, trade and make plans for the draft, are you thinking like, I'm going to be here beyond this draft or not? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I tell you this much, I, I, I didn't see it coming. I mean, just like anything, when you look back, you see, you figure out certain signs and certain uh, things that went down. Like, why didn't I see that? But at the time, you got to look at it this way. When you're on personnel side and you have a new coach, you're like, okay, let's get to know each other. Let me know what you like, what you like in players, how you want to construct this team. And you can get to know a little bit during the interview process, but until you're working 12 hour days with that person and you're, you're really discussing how to build that team, you really don't get to know each other. And that takes some time. So I thought, okay, we're, this is a feeling out year. So what I wanted to do and what we always like to do is not force a player on a coach because that's a recipe for disaster. Because if the player does anything wrong, the first thing the coach is going to say is, I didn't like him. I told you I didn't like him. And the guy's no good. And then he'll get another sh- another not get another shot to show his wares. So you've got that balancing act of, okay, Coach, you give me the vision, I'll, we'll set the value. The personnel guys, we should set the value because we've seen the whole draft board or we've seen all the unrestricted free agents. But if you have the coach putting the value on it, most of them are going to be self-serving because they want guys, especially position coaches, at their position that they want. Or they're looking at just their position. They haven't seen the cross-section of the talent in, in that's coming out that year. So they can't really stack them to where they need to be. So what you want to do is, okay, here's the vision of not only with a new coach, you got to tell me the vision of the team, where you think we are as a team now, what pieces do we need to get you off on a great first start and a first season, and then go from there. But it has to be a collaborative effect where everybody agrees on the same uh, player. So the player will have a chance. And another 
instance was that was my first draft when we did Sammy. Because if you looked at all those people around there, we had the personnel staff and the coaching staff only really came to agreement on one person, and that was Sammy Watkins, for us to get what we thought we needed at the time. Obviously, that didn't work out the way we thought it was. But when we're in that room, we got a young quarterback. We think he's going to be good. Let's put pieces around him, just like the Bills did with Josh Allen. Sammy Watkins was the only one as a coaching staff and a personal staff we agreed could come in and help not only the team, and he was worthy, but also the quarterback. Man, I feel like, you know, we're going to do this every week, so there, there's a lot of stuff to get into. But I, the, back to, like, the, the, that your last draft then, like, mm-hmm. when you're trying to get a team – you're trying to put together a roster for this new head coach. What what kind of input did you get from him, from from McDermott, as that day approached? Well, well it, that day approach was his whole thing was I want to come out the gates with a competitive team. I want to be able to walk in that first team meeting and have those guys because think about it, we did have some talent on the team. I think so because. If you look at the the returns they got on all the guys, a lot of talent. Like, like people in Buffalo got to know that. You you look around that quarterback position. I mean, and they're all around the NFL now and free agency. But but that's the thing. The thing about the NFL is, if you don't have that quarterback, you need twenty one other guys to be playing at their top level to have a chance. And you can't do that consistently. If you have that quarterback, you just need one person to be above average to good and you always have a chance. So we missed on the quarterbacks. That That's, as they say, football's the easy game, but the hardest part about football is finding the quarterback. So but so that, that was the whole premise of he was preaching to us, we have talent on this team, we can compete right away. I don't want to walk in there and them thinking, oh, this guy's coming in, he's going to have his new system, he's going to get his new guys in and then have the vets kind of see the writing on the wall and go in the tank. So we're like, I'm like, okay, coach, you're our guy. I'm going to hear, let's work together to make that vision come true. So that, that, that was the whole premise of that, that off season leading up to the draft, even in, in unrestricted free agents and free agency, it was the same thing. I mean, look at the two safeties we, we signed, those guys are still playing at, at a high level. So um, we, and, 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 what what draft? I thought we worked well together on a short period of time. I think it was very productive. I mean, that's obviously people can debate that, but mm-hmm. our free agent signing that year and our draft class, uh, I think, uh, was was pretty productive. You know, we're talking openly right now, and after that draft, I was the same way. I was like, wow, this this process went pretty well. You know, I thought there was a little quirkiness there at the end. I was, yeah, I felt a little, maybe a little disconnect, but Sean. I'm just going to say this. Sean shook my hand after that draft that night before we all walked out, after we signed all the free agents. He mm-hmm. shook my hand. He said, Jim, you're, you and your staff, that was the best undrafted process I've ever been a part of. Remember how we mm-hmm. had a nice and controlled yes. and yes. no chaos? And I, I was like, I'm leaving that night thinking, oh, man, this is great. Mm-hmm. We, we set ourselves and, up. Yeah. And then thinking back, remember how we set up our draft board? Oh, yeah. how we would just go by players. So, Tyler, I'll, I'll give you a backdrop. When, when I was a pro director at, at the Steelers, we'd always have mock drafts. So you would say, okay, you're at position 10. 
these guys, these nine guys are gone and these, what 300 guys are left, who are we going to take? So we'd sit there for about three or four hours, just shuffling names around. So my brain, the way I always look is, all right, what, there's got to be a more efficient way to do it. Work smart, not hard. How can we make this more efficient? So when I got with, with, with Monus and we just sit there and said, why don't we do this? Say every that we have scouted is on the board. Who would be our first pick? If we, no matter when, where we're picking, if everybody's available, who's going? So we did that from one to wherever we picked and a little a couple picks further than that. And that takes away the mock draft standpoint. That now looking back, that was the first time where I felt this was a total disconnect because we had done it two or three years before with Terry and Terry was like, Oh, this is great. Then we started doing it with Terry and Sean and they're like, no, I don't understand this. Why don't let's do mock drafts. I don't understand it. And I'm like, Terry, we've done this before. And Terry didn't get it. And Sean's like, I don't understand this. I can't get it. And we're like, well, just, just imagine everybody's available. Who are we going to pick? Let's talk it out now. So, and the reason why you do that, because once the draft hits and it's your time, you just pick the guy that's there. There's no discussion left. All the work's done before. It's just like a coach that says practice should be hard, game should be fun, because yeah. you put all the work in in practice. Game day, you just let loose and let it fall. Draft day, you just you got it stacked, you let it fall to you. And, again, what we would do is we'd put a mark and say, hey, these are the guys we wouldn't trade away from. And then you put a mark down below and say, these are the guys how far we would drop back before the talent level drops off. So everything's set there. Now, all you do is once your pick's there, then you say, wait for a call. If no one calls, you pick the top guy there. Or if someone calls, then you start saying, all right, let's count these spaces. Does it go before our line of demarcation or after? And then you, you try to get the best deal. So that's how you can make a seamless draft day without putting pressure on you that, that ultimately sometimes makes you lead to mistakes. And that was the first time now that I think that it was a, that, that I thought was the only disconnect out of the whole process. Yeah, I remember how late we were in the room that night. Yeah. And we we're like, oh, yeah. We both were like, whoa, this is a little different. Yeah. Yeah. There was because, a little I mean, disconnect too. And like, I mean, you talking to Jim, you know, you guys were at a point where you kind of knew, all right, it's okay to be bad for a year, right? We, we were okay. I mean, you that. were okay yes. resetting. If you have, I mean, granted, we, I mean, we all love Tyrod Taylor. I mean, we, we've all, Talk to him, and you guys way more than me. But like, we signed him. You signed him. Like he, yeah. he did a lot of good, but you kind of knew what he was at that point. You you were you were willing to, you know, hit reset. You know, mortgage a year if you have to. Sean wasn't willing to do that. I mean, that's a pretty big disconnect to me. It felt like, and I don't know when that right. you kind of sense that disconnect. But did did you did you feel that, Doug? Well, I I, I thought I felt that. I wouldn't say disconnect. It was just a different vision of where we were going. Now, hindsight, he was subscribed to the theory that we had. <laughs> Get rid of right. these guys and let's go. So, I, I mean, I, everybody can decide what they want to decide on that. But we were like, in my opinion, because of what was coming down the road the next year and we had Cardell, we're like, hey, listen, worst case scenario, we're bad and we're in the top ten. With two first-round picks, we'll have the ammunition to pick whoever we want. Best-case scenario, Cardell's the man. He sits there and he sits there and takes us to competitiveness, possible playoff run, maybe not, whatever. Enough to show you that he can be the guy. 
and then we have ammunition to just stock the team along with the, the talent we already had. So that was our thought process. But when when he came in, we're like, okay, let's adjust it because we knew we had still had talent, but we also knew we didn't have that major piece, and that was the quarterback. So our thought process was how can we get the quarterback? And I got vilified for saying we were in creepy port purgatory, but that was it. We were never bad enough to be. It was the truth, but you know, it, 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 it. I mean, we were we had enough talent that we weren't going to be able to draft in the top ten, and that's where most of those quarterbacks have, that are franchise quarterbacks. That's where you get them, and then so we had to devise a plan, and we thought we had to devise the plan uh, in that fall. I mean, you, you mentioned like the undrafted free agency process. So I mean, I want you guys to just kind of take the floor, T- take everybody through. <laughs> this is Jim, this is Jim's baby. Jim, the draft take this one. This and is then into that night and then into the next morning. I mean, what's going through your head? Where are you at mentally with how this went with the new staff, new direction, and then you get the call, show up at one Bill's drive. Well, yeah. that night, you know, I think we go home exhausted. Hey, what a great, you know, we were pretty mm-hmm. happy. We got, you know, with the draft, everything. Then the reports start coming out that that Sunday night or that Saturday night. Yeah, remember? Yeah. I remember texting yep. you, calling you. I'm like, "Hey, you reading? Are you hearing anything?" Because every yeah. WGR, everybody was like, "We're out." Mm-hmm. Really? Man, McDermott just said that was a great process. I'm like, uh, "You got McDermott the interview." We all did, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, whatever. But at this point, we're like, okay. We had a meeting scheduled the next day with the scouts, as every team does, and let's get a, get let's get a final meeting, get these guys out of here, get them home to their families. Um, and I always tell Tyler, I'll never forget it. But, you know, we drive together. Doug picked me up around Pearl Street, and we rolled to Orchard Park, mm-hmm. pouring down rain, seven thirty in the morning. The meeting was at eight. Yep. Remember, and we pull in the parking lot, and we see the big SUVs. Terry, you know, Terry's a. Oh, yeah. Yep. And we look yep. at each other like, hmm, well, this wasn't a meeting Terry was going to be at. It's he did, yep. After draft weekend, we're like, all right, let's see what happens. Yeah. We go into the building, and I got a text from you about five minutes after we were in the building. Like, hey, man. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, I walked down. Yep. Oh, I walk in, and, uh, you know, Tim and Terry are there. They sit me down, and they're like, hey. And, and they said, thank you for everything. We're going in a different direction. And – from me being on the other side and having to do that, I knew no matter what I asked them, what I said, they were just going to be very bland because when you're letting someone go, you have to be careful what you say because they can come back and use that against you in, in some court proceeding. So I said, hey, thank you very much. You gave me a shot. You you didn't have to keep me when you bought the team, and you didn't have to re-up me when you did. So you've done a, a lot for me. I appreciate the opportunity, and I wish you the best of luck. And I think I said, I think I said, we, you have a plan. Hopefully you stick with it. And then, uh, you know, for me, my, my mindset is I'm, I'm a military kid. So my dad was West Point. He went to Vietnam. So he was always like, hey, when you get an order, don't ask why. Don't think about it. Just complete the task. So when I, when I got fired, my all thought process was two things. What's going on with the rest of the staff to make sure they're okay? And two, all right, what's my next move? I didn't sit there and sit there and say, oh, man, why, why, why? My mind started going, okay, who do I need to contact? Who can I, who's, what openings are out there? What do I need to do? Because I knew I'd have plenty of time to reflect 
after that. But that time, my, my wheels just started turn, turning about what's my next move. So you saying when you were in high school and a girl would break up with you, you didn't beg her to give you one more <laughs> chance? Hey, what biggie say? Don't chase, just replace. <laughs> That's <laughs> Hey, Monus, as a scout, you know, we found you. We can find another one. So I thought, okay, you know, I did this before. I can do it again. Now, it's proven harder (laughs) than I thought. But (laughs) (laughs) now we're doing podcasts. We're like, come on. You're at my house, Jim. What the hell? Hey, but having a lot lot more fun and not working as hard. And, Doug, remember Jim Trestle told us, next chapter, best chapter? Chapter, absolutely. And you know what? It really has been. And obviously, we're not where we want to be career-wise, but I know there's a lot of other things that have been incredible experiences for you and me in, in different leagues and family. And Think about this. What if Trestle wouldn't have been at Youngstown? Tyler knows. I mean, you I think told, about that. I told Tyler. Yeah. Hey, take it where you want to take it. Well, I mean, we really worked hard to try to interview Jim Trestle. I yeah. told Tyler that, and I know, Doug, you have a history with him. Yes. And, like, why not? Let's swing for the fences. Let's go for yes. it. And I'll tell you, and this shows you what type of character Jim Trestle has. He did not want to talk to Kim Pagula because he knew that he'd be really tempted. And he had made a commitment to Youngstown. This guy is passing on a chance to be an NFL head coach because he had given a commitment to Youngstown. So that shows you right there we would have had made the right choice. Boy, and so just so if, if listeners can't keep up, I mean, this is, what, January of 2017 when you're yeah. going through the process of? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, December, yeah. Or January, yeah, December, right at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. January, yep. You guys were high on Jim Trestle. You're thinking this could be the yeah. answer. And, be the and then Jim, Jim brought up uh, Peterson at University of Washington. So, and that's why when you hear – Back then, you hear the uh, the sports commentators and writers out there. Oh, how come they're not talking to this person? Not talking to that person? I, we talked to a lot of people. Some people just weren't interested, or some people their asking price was too much. And some people, like Trestle, was like, I, I got a commitment and I, I can't get out of it because that's that's what I'm all about. So he was staying committed. Are they Division Three? No, 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 no. Champion FCS. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had played a St. John Fisher one year. Yeah, you know, I thought we played. No, no, I guess not. Maybe it might have been Mount Union. I wasn't very good. I tell you what, D three football. I mean, it was the the talent was really good. It's just the speed and the you know the physicality isn't isn't you know there. That you see I, pl- I played D three. My dad coached D three, D two. I mean, I grew up with that football. Yeah, and yeah. we you know D two and D three. There's some good players for sure. Absolutely, you know, there are. no doubt. That was, but the it's just part. the depth. The depth is the whole thing. Yeah, he's, you're, I mean, you're, he's staying committed to Youngstown when he has an opportunity to go to the the Buffalo Bills yes. to interview for an NFL team. I mean, talk about a guy's character just just because he wanted to stay committed. Absolutely, and we yeah. told and we told him too. You know, we we're like, hey, it's your show. We just want to pick players. You, we yes. don't do anything yes. else but pick players. That's what we're good at. Like, because if if when we were doing our research. Everybody from Cardell Jones to uh, assistant coach said the exact same thing about Jim Tressel. I would die for that guy. He is a leader of men, and he's a man of his word. If he says something to you, put it in 
right next to your best bi- favorite Bible verse. So that's the type of person. I mean, I, and like I told Jim, I went back to he recruited me when he was at Youngstown as a coach coming out of high school. And then throughout the years of scouting and stuff, I'd always be with him and talk to him. And, and I actually still got a picture. I went to Youngstown uh, the year I, uh, we got fired, let, let go, and I just had lunch with him. And Frog and I went and, yeah. and had lunch with him. Still the same guy. I mean, just unbelievable. It's really remarkable. I mean, before we hit record, me and Jim were, we were working on uh, beer number one, little, little two-time Southern Tier Christmas Ale. And it just blows my mind, like the thin line between being, you know, in the position that we're all in here on a podcast oh, yeah. talking about football and being a Super Bowl champion, having streets oh, snapped after you, having statues built at. Like, I mean, you guys are so close to Patrick Mahomes, so close. I mean, it's, it's so razor thin, and I'm sure this is the case throughout the scouting community. I can't wrap my head around it. I mean, how do you guys wrap your head around it? You, can, it, you you really can't because it's one of those things where, like you said, a luck plays a lot to do with it. It, it does. I mean, you can't really – a lot of times people say you're going to tank and tanking for Tua. That didn't work. Now, luckily for them, Joe Burrow came on the scene. But if Joe Burrow doesn't come on the scene, they're at the one number – you know what I mean? The, who, since he's at the number one pick, are they going to take Tua? Right. So – it's it's just as I say, it's circumstances, and you just don't know what circumstances are going to be staring you in the face, and you just gotta do the best you can with the information you have at the time. Jim, Doug, I, I, it's so crazy to think about like how that could have changed. I always think about this: Is there a part of you that is happy we did not draft Mahomes? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Here's my next question. My next question was, we were out the door if we took him or not. Would you agree? No doubt. No yeah. doubt. We were. I mean, just look at. I mean, anybody can read the tea leaves. What went out down after we left? I mean, ten, ten who got the job? And Bean was hired. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the writing was on the wall, and we just weren't privy to that bathroom stall. <laughs> so really, you're just looking for signs. I mean, this is yeah. – like, you don't really know what the hell is going to happen. It's done. It, as you get closer and closer, I imagine you, you think it's going to happen. Nah. Right? I'm telling you, I, I didn't get that until, until that day when we drove and pulled in the parking lot. That's because cool. I'm telling you, he, he, he's he, – I mean, everybody had a good po- poker face. From the Pagulas to, to Coach McDermott, everybody had a great poker face. All that being said, Terry and Kim have every right to do – whatever they want to do oh, with that team. Absolutely. And they treated us first class. That's what I'm saying. I have no issue no, with them. No issue. And you couldn't work for better owners than Terry and Kim. No, no, not at all. And, and to tell you the truth, if I were them, they should have, and they should have done it when they first bought the team. You know what I mean? So a new venture I'm doing now, I'm putting an investment vehicle together to uh, hopefully buy some sports team with an emphasis on European soccer and that's the whole thing. Our, our premise is we have operational experience because a lot of times when owners come in from other industries, they're, they have a large bell curve to understand the business of sports. It is totally different than a lot of other businesses. So they had to take some time to understand what they wanted out of their organization and what they wanted the vision to be. And you got to remember when we, when we went after 
uh, they fired Rex. We went to Florida and said, okay, let's work on a vision. Instead of just going out and see what the coach had and say, we like that vision, let's set the vision. And that's why they're successful. If you look at any success, most successful organizations, the vision is set from ownership. Because if you set it from ownership, then you can bring in the pieces. If the pieces don't work, you can bring in other pieces. If the vision is set by the GM or the coach, if that vision is wrong, you have to reboot the whole organization from coaches to players to culture to everything. So if you set the culture from the ownership from top and let your filter down, you have a better chance of continued success. Man, and I got to say, like talking to you guys both in the reporting for that story, I mean, you both kind of went out of your way to to, to praise the Pagulas and, and say, like, uh-huh. it's, it's one thing that he knew Patrick Mahomes was going to be a stud. It's mm-hmm. another thing to not interfere, not meddle like a lot of owners would. And you guys had great relationships, you know, oh, yeah. with them yeah, I, throughout the years. Italian, yeah, absolutely. They are class individuals because the thing that I've noticed about them and that I can create connected dots with the Steelers are they are truly care about people. They don't look at you as employees. They were like, hey, how they cared about you as a person and how you were doing it. If you're struggling in some area, let's get them help some way. So, uh, and and whatever we needed, it got to the point where I, I told Jim, I said, we're not asking for another thing until we start winning because they had given us more than enough. Man, this has been awesome, Doug. I, I can't wait to do this every single week. Um, I think yeah. the fans, the listeners, everybody's just going to really like what you have to say. That This is this has been great. I mean, just What have you been up to these days before we lose you? Like, um, what are your plans for the future? Well, right now I've been – actually, I was doing a little media. I mean, besides this podcast, I was on Scott Kaplan's show, 710 ESPN LA, doing some local stuff here getting together with a couple of people, some partners to do some business development. Like I said, on uh, trying to get an investment vehicle to buy some sports franchises again, because of our operational experience. Um, my one partner is a, used to be assistant GM at the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves. Another guy was a performance director at the Sabres and a bunch of other places across sports. So we believe it, it's almost, it's like a private equity play that, we get some capital in, we can come in, and then we can flatten that curve because we know what to expect and what we need to do as change management coming into a, a new franchise. So that's on my plate. So I got a couple balls in the air, and then I just got a call from the search firm from the XFL. So there, I'm going to have an interview with them to uh, possibly go back with them, and uh, they hope to start hiring in the Q1, early Q2 of 21, and then start the season in 2022 it's going to be some moving and shaking in the nfl too pretty yeah, soon we shall see think, you know yeah. Um, yeah there's a lot a lot more movement this year than last year so you know get my name out there obviously is somebody that I, I would be interested as i've always been taught it costs you nothing to listen that's right oh man well this has been great Th- thanks so much doug i mean uh, i can't oh. wait for all the stories all the all the conversation we're going to have for Weeks and months and years, as long as I can have you guys. You know, I mean, I'll uh, keep you as, as long, long as, as you have me. Until, Absolutely. You know, bears. I mean, who knows? Who knows gonna, who's going to come call? <laughs> well, awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Doug. Who Appreciate got? it, fellas. Steelers Bills. Oh, yeah. Geez. These are your squads, man. Who you got? Let's hear it. I'd have to say after seeing the Steelers, what, how they played and the injuries, Hayden's out. 
Spillane's out, and with the receiving core and the way the Bills showed against San Fran, I'd have to go with the Bills right now. What's what's the line on this? It's minus two and a half. I'm writing that down. Bill Doug likes the Bills minus two and a half. Hey, I, I got a job too. I got to make money too. Yeah, no, <laughs> I said that before I knew the line, but no. I, right now, I, more because of the injuries to the secondary and the Bills. And I, I'll tell you guys this much. I hope, and he should, Dable, I think, is the star of that team. He is. I think, you know, McDermott is, I mean, obviously put the team together and has that vision along with the Pagulas. But without Brian Dable, I don't see them being where they are now. He's an excellent play caller, and he should get a shot. Uh, him and Eric Bieme should be the top two coordinator and head coach uh, candidates this year. It's incredible. I mean, the plays that he draws up, it just seems oh. the perfect play at the perfect moment they're, all the time. Their third down offense is phenomenal. Like if you really, I mean, that's how you break teams, red zone, third down. Yes. It's, they can't Fourth be quarter. They're yes. using their, their athletic quarterback. He can do everything. And, and that shows you. Unlike Greg Williams, where it's the system and all about him and how it's where can I put my players in best place to succeed? That's why Bill Belichick's always been successful. And that's why what I see in Brian Dable. What can this quarterback do? Let's put him in positions with these weapons to be successful. And think about it, fellas. When he throws the ball and they span to the, the receiver, a lot of times, and, and I, this is no knock on Josh Allen, a lot of times the guy's wide open there's no one within a yard or two of them so it's it's yeah. i put that as play design more you know than anything oh man we're, we're gonna run out of time here on this oh, okay. Zoom so, call we'll, but we'll man, I, I want to keep talking we're gonna keep talking doug you've been awesome thanks so much hey and if i don't talk to you guys happy holidays but we'll talk Appreciate soon. it, man that was the All go right, long podcast thanks everyone